0: Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 35, The Brander Mistress Crow was not, after all, the last to arrived at the mains, but that the next arrival was accounted for scarcely rendered it less marvelous than hers, just after the loss of Snowball came floating into the farmyard, over the top of the gate, with such astonishment of all who beheld, that each seemed to place more confidence in his neighbor's eyes than in his own, a woman on a raft, with her four little children, seated around her, holding the skirt of her gown above her head, and out between her hands for a sail. She had made the raft herself by tying some bars of a piling together, and crossing them with what other bits of wood she could find—a branner, she called it, which is scotch for a gridiron, and thence for a grating. Nobody knew her. She had come down the lorry. The farmer was so struck with admiration of her invention, daring, and success, that he vowed he would keep the brander as long as it would stick together and as it could not be taken into the house, he secured it with a rope to one of the windows. When they had the horses safe on the first floor, they brought the cattle into the lower rooms, but it became evident that if they were to have a chance, they also must be got up to the same level. Thereupon followed a greater tumult than before, such a banging of heads and hindquarters of horns and shoulders, against walls and partitions, such a rushing and thundering, that the house seemed in more danger from within than from without. For the cattle were worse to manage than the horses, and one moment stubborn as a millstone would the next moment start into a frantic rush. One poor wretch broke both her horns clean off against the wall at a sharp turn of the passage, and after two or three more accidents, partly caused by overhaste in the human mortals, Donald begged that the business should be left to him and his mother. His employer consented, and it was wonderful what Janet contrived to effect by gentleness, coaxing, and suggestion. When Horny's turn came, Donna began to tie ropes to her hind hoofs. Mr. Delph objected. Ye, Donna, kin her say we'll as I dee, sir, answered Donald. She wad call her horns until a man o' war at angered her. And up yonder ye couldn't get a whack at her for hurtin' an that didn't deserve to. I'se dee her no mischief, I'se warrant. Ye just leave her to me, sir his employer yielded, Donald tied a piece of rope round each hind pastern, if cows have pasterns, and made a loop at the end. The moment she was at the top of the stair, he and his mother dropped each a loop over a horn. No, she'll neither stick nor fling, gore nor kick," said Donald. She could but bellow and paw with her four feet. The strangers were mostly in Fergus's bedroom, the horses were all in their owners, and the cattle were in the remaining rooms. Bursts of talk amongst the women were followed by fits of silence, who could tell how long the flood might last, or indeed whether the house might not be undermined before morning, or be struck by one of those big things of which so many floated by, and give way with one terrible crash. Mr. Duff, while preserving a tolerable, calm exterior, was nearly at his wit's end. He would stand for half an hour together, with his hands in his pockets, looking motionless out of a window, murmuring now and then to himself, This is clean ridiculous, but when anything had to be done, he was active enough. Mr. Crowell sat in a corner, very quiet, and looking not a little c- cowed. There was altogether more water than she liked. Now and then she lifted her lurid black eyes to Janet, who stood at one of the windows, knitting away at her employer's stocking, and casting many a calm glance at the brown waters and the strange drift that covered them. But if Janet turned her head and made a remark to her, she never gave back other than Kurt if not rude reply. In the afternoon, Jean brought the whiskey bottle. At sight of it, Mistress Crowell's eyes shot flame. Jean poured out a glass pool, took a sip, and offered it to Janet. Janet declining it, Jean invaded, possibly by some pity of her miserable aspect, offered it to Mistress Crowell. She took it with affected coolness, tossed it off at a gob, and presented the glass, not to the hand from which she had taken it, but to Jean's other hand, in which was the bottle. Jean cast a piercing look into her greedy eyes, and, taking the glass from her, filled it and presented it to the woman who built and navigated the brander. Mistress Crowell muttered something that sounded like a curse upon scrimp measure, and drew herself farther back into the corner, where she had seated herself on Fergus's portmanteau. I do we hate an uncle in the camp. "'A Jonah until the ship,' said Jean to Janet, as she turned, bottle and glass in her hands to carry them from the room. "'Nah, na, neither say guide nor say ill,' replied Janet. "'Folk at been ill-guided, no cannon war their help lies. Wows takes to the bottle, but this is but a day o' punishment, no a day o' judgment yet, and I'm thinking the war's ne'er hand over. "'Gin' only Gibby war here.' Jean left the room, shaking her head, and Janet stood alone at the window as before, a hand she laid on her arm. She looked up. The black eyes were close to hers, and the glow that was in them gave the lie to the tone of indifference with which Mistress Crowell spoke. Yea, hey mare, nor aunts made mention, O Anne, connected with ye by the name O Gibby, she said. "Ay," hey, answered Janet, and what may be your wool with him? "'Oh, nothing,' returned Mrs. Crowell. "'I can't an' o' oh, the name lang and was lost sick to. "'There's Gibbies here, and Gibbies there,' remarked Janet, probing her. "'Will I wot?' she answered peevishly, for she had had whisky enough only to make her cross, and turned away, muttering, however, in an undertone, but not too low for Janet to hear. "'But there's na' mo'ny we sir, Gibbies." Janet was arrested in her turn, could the fierce, repellent, whiskey-craven woman be the mother of her gracious Gibby? Could she be, and look so lost, but the loss of him had lost her, perhaps? Anyhow, God was his Father, whoever was the mother of him. "'Who came ye to tend ye bairn, woman?' she asked. But Mistress Crowell was careful also, and had her reasons. He ran frae the blow t'an she said enigmatically. Janet recalled how Gibbie came to her scored by the hand of cruelty. Who came he by the bonny nickname? she asked at length. Nickname? retorted mrs Crowell fiercely. I think I hear ye. His ain't name, and title by law, and right. As sure as ever there was a King James at first pat his han o to the makin o baroness as is often I Hey heart, Sir George, the father o m tell the same. She ceased abruptly annoyed with herself, as it seemed for having said so much. Ye wadna be my lady yourself, while ye, ma'am, suggested Janet, in her gentlest voice. Mrs. Crowell made her no answer. Perhaps she thought of the days when she alone, of women, did the simplest of woman's offices for Sir George. Anyhow, it was one thing to rush of herself to the verge of her secret, and quite another to be fooled over it. Is it Lang since she lost him?' asked Janet, after a bootless pause. "Eh," she answered, gruffly and discourteously in a tone intended to quench interrogation. But Janet persisted. Wad ye ken him again? Gin ye saw him? Can him? I would can he? Im ginna he had grown a grandfather. Can him? Crochet whatever. can I'm as I did. Baronet he was and wa a can. Im going he wore deed and an angel made o him. But will I wad? It's little different that wad make. She rose in her excitement, and, going to the other window, stood gazing vacantly out upon the rushing sea. To Janet it was plain she knew more about Gibby than she was inclined to tell, and it gave her a momentary sting of apprehension. "'What was aboot him, ye what can say well?' she asked in a tone of indifference, as if speaking only through the meshes of her work. "'I'll ken them at spears afore I tell,' she replied solemnly. For the next instant she screamed aloud, "'Yon's him, yon's him, And, stretching out her arms, dashed a hand through a pane, letting in a edding swirl of wind and water, while the blood streamed unheeded from her wrist. The same moment Jean entered the room, she heard both the cry and the sound of the breaking glass. "'Care what set the beggar wife?' she exclaimed gang fray the window mistress ye randy mistress crow took no heed she stood now staring from the window still as a statue except for the panting motion of her sides at the other window stood janet gazing also with blessed face for there like a triton on a seahorse came Gibby, through the water on snowball swimming wearily he caught sight of Janet at the window, and straightway his countenance was radiant with smiles. Mistress Crowl gave a shuddering sigh, drew back from her window, and betook herself again to her dark corner. Jean went to Janet's window, and there beheld the triumphal approach of her brownie, saving from the waters the lost and lamented snowball. She shouted, to her brother, John, John, here's your snowball, here's your snowball John ran to her call, and beside himself with joy when he saw his favourite come swimming along through the window wide, and began to bawl the most unnecessary directions and encouragements, as if the exploit had been brought thus far towards a happy issue, solely through him. While from all the windows Gibby was welcomed with shouts and cheers and congratulations. "'Lord preserves,' cried Mr. Duff, recognizing the writer at last. "'It's Rob Grant's innocent, while what he thought it. "'The Lord's babes and sucklings are gu-capable wows,' remarked Janet to herself. She believed Gibby had more faculty than any of her own, Donal included, nor did she share the prevalent prejudice of the city that heart and brains are mutually antagonistic for in her own case she had found that her brains were never worth much to her until her heart took up the education of them but then intellect is so much oftener than by love seen and felt to be sharpened by necessity and greed that it is not surprising such a prejudice should exist tack him maroon to the door Why ye got ye him? ye why best get him in at the window up o the stairs he'll be mass hungered Ye'll be some wheat, I'm thinking. Come, I'll walk up the stair and tell a about it. A score of such conflicting shouts assailed Gibby as he approached, and he replied to them all with the light of his countenance. When they arrived at the door, they found a difficult. He waiting them. The water was now so high that Snowball's head rose above the lintel, and though all animals can swim, they do not all know how to dive a tumult of suggestions immediately broke out but donald had already thrown himself from a window with a rope and swam to gibbie's assistance the two understood each other and heeding nothing the rest were saying held their own communications In a minute the rope was fastened around Snowball's body and the end of it drawn between his forelegs and through the ring of his headstall, when Donald swam with it to his mother, who stood on the stair, with the request that as soon as she saw Snowball's head under the water she would pull with all her might and draw him in at the door. Donald then swam back, and threw his arms round Snowball's neck from below, while the same moment Gibby cast his whole weight on it from above, the horse was over head and ears in an instant, and through the door in another. With snorting nostrils and blazing eyes, his head rose in the passage, and in terror he struck out for the stair. As he scrambled heavily up from the water, His master and Robert seized him, and with much petting, and patting, and gentling, though there was little enough difficulty in managing him now, conducted him into the bedroom to the rest of the horses. There he was welcomed by his companions, and immediately began devouring the hay upon his master's bedstead. Gibby came close behind him, was seized by Janet, at the top of the stair, embraced like one come alive from the grave, led all dripping as he was into the room where the women were. The farmer followed soon after with the whisky, the universal medicine in those parts, of which he offered a glass to Gibby, but Gibby turned from it with a curious look of mingled disgust and gratefulness. His father's life had not been all a failure, he had done what parents so rarely effect handed the general results of his experience to his son. The sight and smell of whiskey were to Gibby, a loathing flavored with horror. The farmer looked back from the door as he was leaving the room. Gibby was performing a wild, circular dance of which Shannon was the center, throwing his limbs about like the toy the children call a jumping jack, which ended suddenly in a motionless ecstasy upon one leg. Having regarded for a moment the rescuer of Snowball with astonishment, John Duff turned away with the reflection how easy it was and natural for those who had nothing and therefore could lose nothing to make merry in others adversity. It did not once occur to him that it was the joy of having saved that caused Gibby's merriment thus to overflow. The cratter's crazy, he said afterwards to Jean, and it's just a marvel what he's capable of. But dee, there's little to cheese and tween Janet and him, they're bath tarred with the same stick," he paused a moment, then added, They'll dee well enough in the Ither world. I don't know where nobody has to hot off o themselves. That day, however, Gibby had proved that a man may well for both to have nothing and to take no care of himself, seen he has, since he rose in the morning, rescued a friend, a foe, and a beast of the earth verily he might stand on one leg but when he told janet that he had been home and had found the cottage uninjured and out of danger she grew very sober in the midst of her gladness she could say nothing there amongst strangers for the dread arose in her bosom that if indeed she had not liked peter Denied her master before man, she had like Peter yielded homage to the might of the elements in his ruling presence, and she justly saw the same faithlessness in the two failures. As she said to herself, "Gee'n only I had been praying instead o' oh, running away, I would ha' been there when he turned the water aside. I would have been had seen the miracle. O oh, my master, why well, think he o' me now?" for all the excitement Mistress Crowell had shown at first view of Gibby. She sat still in her dusky corner, made no movement towards him, nor did anything to attract his attention, only kept her eyes fixed upon him, and Janet, in her mingled joy and pain, forgot her altogether. When at length it recurred to her that she was in the room, she cast a somewhat anxious glance towards the place she had occupied all day. It was empty and Janet was perplexed to think how she had gone unseen. She had crept out after Mr. Duff, and probably Janet saw her, but as one of those who see see not, and immediately forgot. Just as the farmer left the room, a great noise arose among the cattle, and that adjoining, he set down the bottle on a chair that happened to be in the passage and ran to protect the partitions. Exultation would be a poor word wherewith to represent the madness of the delight that shot as fierce into Mistress Crow's eyes when she saw the bottle actually abandoned within her reach. It was to her as the very key of the universe. She darted upon it, put it to her lips, and drank. Yet she took heed, thought while she drank, and did not go beyond what she could carry. Little time such an appropriation required. Noiselessly she set the bottle down, darted into a closet containing a solitary calf, and there stood looking from the open window in right innocent fashion, curiously contemplating the raft attached to it, upon which she had seen the Highland Woman arrive with her children. At supper-time she was missing altogether. Nobody could could with certainty say when he had last seen her. The house was searched from top to bottom, and the conclusion arrived at was that she must have fallen from some window and been drowned. Only surely she would at least have uttered one cry. Examining certain of the windows to know whether she might not have left some sign of such an exit, the farmer discovered that the brander was gone. What cried the man, with a face bewildered to shapelessness, like that of an old moon rising in a fog? Yon'll be her I saw an hour ago hindoon the water. Who could she win safe far on gain to the broaden? Up o the branner, sir," answered the man. "I took her for a muckle dog up o a door." John Duff stared at the man with his mouth open, and for half a minute all was dumb. The thing was incredible, yet hardly to be controverted. The woman was gone, the raft was gone, and something strange that might be the two together had been observed about the time, as near as they could judge, when she ceased to be observed in the house. Had the farmer noted the change in the level of the whisky in his bottle? He might have been surer of it, except, indeed, the doubt had therein arisen whether they might not rather find her at the foot of the stair when the water subsided. Mr. Duff said the luck changed with the return of Snowball, his sister said with the departure of the beggar wife. Before dark the rain had ceased, and it became evident that the water had not risen for the last half-hour and two hours more it had sunk a quarter of an inch. Gibby threw himself on the floor beside his mother's chair. She covered him with her grey cloak, and he fell fast asleep. At dawn he woke with a start. He had dreamed that Ginevra was in trouble. He made Janet understand that he would return to guide them home as soon as the way was practicable and set out at once. The water fell rapidly, almost as soon as it was morning. The people at the mains could begin doing a little towards restoration. But from that day forth, for about a year, instead of the waters of the Dar and the lorry, the house was filled with a gradually subsiding flood of Jean's lamentations over her house-gear one thing after another, and twenty things together, there was scarcely an article she did not over and over her claim, utterly ruined, in a tone apparently indicating ground of serious complaint against someone who did not appear though most of the things to other eyes than hers remained seemingly about as useful as before. In vain her brother sought to comfort her with assurance that there were worse losses at Dan. She answered that if he had not himself been specially favored in the recovery of Snowball, he would have made a much worse complaint about him alone than she did about all her losses. Whereupon, being an honest man, and not certain that she spoke other than the truth, he held his peace. But he never made the smallest acknowledgment to Gibby for the saving of, that, of the said snowball. What could he understand about gratitude, and what use was money to a boy who did not set his life at a pin's fee? But he always spoke kindly to him thereafter, which was more to Gibby than anything he could have given him, and when a man is content, his friends may hold their peace. The next day Jean had her dinner strangely provided. As her brother wrote to a friend in Glasgow, she found at the back of the house, and all lying in a heap, a handsome dish of trout, a pike, a hare, a partridge, and a turkey with a dish of potatoes and a dish of turnips, all brought down by the burn, and deposited there for the good of the house, except the turkey, which, alas, was one of her own favorite flock. In the afternoon, Gibby reappeared at the mains, and Robert and Janet set out at once to go home with him. It was a long journey for them he had to take them so many rounds they rested at several houses and saw much misery on their way it was night before they arrived at the cottage they found it warm and clean and tidy geneva had like a true lady swept the house that gave her shelter that ladies often do and perhaps it is yet more their work in the world than they fully understand for geneva it was heavenly bliss to, her, to hear their approaching footsteps, and before she left them she had thoroughly learned that the poorest place where the atmospheres love is more homely and by consequence more heavenly than the most beautiful, even where law and order are elements supreme. Agene had only had faith in bidding, said Janet to herself as she entered, and to the day of her death she never ceased to bemoan her too hasty desertion of the wee hoosee of old the muckle rock. As to the strange woman's evident knowledge concerning Gibby, she could do nothing but wait, fearing rather than hoping, but she had got so far above time and chance that nothing really troubled her, and she could wait quietly. At the time, at the same time it did not seem likely they would hear anything more of the woman herself. No one believed she could have gone very far without being whelmed, or whumbled, as they said, in the fierce waters. Thank you for listening to another episode of faker Soft Story Classic.